This is GDC Podcast. Uh, That's a big pop. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Graft. I'm here with Alyssa Macklin. Hello, I'm Alyssa. I'm a news editor at Gamasutra. Oh yeah, I forgot to say what I do. I am editor-in-chief of Gamasutra. <laughs> at least I try to be. And uh, this is the second episode of GDC Podcast, right? Yeah, second episode. I know, that, that uh, it, it's got that fresh podcast smell. <laughs> <laughs> just open it up and just uh, take that whiff the fun thing about doing this monthly so far is it feels like it's been a week since we recorded this so i know it feels like uh we've been doing this for about 30 years now oh yeah seasoned podcasters over here very seasoned there's been no editing um (laughs) at all in all these all of this is exactly how it happened so uh again we're here for uh gdc that stands for game developers conference and uh, we, we kind of started this so that we could give people some insight into these uh, fascinating people who make video games and uh, kind of let people know how they make them. So I think that's a pretty, that, that's, a, that's a noble thing oh, yeah. to do, right? Yeah, turns out they don't just will themselves into existence. There's hardworking teams of de- dedicated people behind all those many, many, many games that are coming out in quick it, succession this year. It's, it's true. Uh, well, not all of them will themselves into existence. I think that Will Wright actually willed himself into existence, <laughs> and that's how he got his name. And thank you, because Sims content this week. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about all... all we, can, we have to talk real quick about, like, well, all right, what are you playing? Right now? Uh, I'm killing time. Uh, as we're recording this, a uh, new Sims uh, game pack comes out like three hours ago, and it is killing me that I can't be playing it right now. So it'll but be that for the rest of the week. You're that dedicated of a podcaster, and you have waited this long to play the new oh, Sims. Yeah, it's installing. Like I, I, On my lunch, I went to go start installing it, so it's... It pains me. I want what, to... what do you What do you like so much uh, about this? Thing? I mean, it's a it's a great game, but you're you're obsessed with it. Uh, I am a micromanager, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gives me a way to productively micromanage uh, without pissing anyone off. Without pissing anyone off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Know, it's a uh, one of those weird kind of like with a uh, like Stardew Valley and Animal Crossing, where you have a bunch of like small little tasks to just kind of like focus on and get into routines and set up all this. And there's like creative output in it. It's just really relaxing. And so none of your Sims are pissed off. No, no, they're all very happy, and I hold them to very high standards individually. Do you ever do, you ever do the cruel thing where you just kind of build them into a room and? you know punish him like that Are they you... make it they make it harder in uh in these ones you can't just like delete the pool ladder anymore but yeah we, we treat our uh, sorry, our sims humanely in the year 2019 that's, that's good um and then uh I, i'm playing games too yeah There's i was gonna so... ask do you play any video games um I, uh do, do i game am i a gamer Are you a gamer or am, I, am i a gamer i'm actually playing astral chain uh from platinum and it's a lot less Bayonetta, uh, and it's a lot more kind of more detective stuff than I thought there would be. You're you're uh, you're the de- you're basically demon police, and there are these things called Chimera that keep on coming through portals and uh, infecting people, 
and doing all, all this uh, this weird stuff to people. But it's a I'm surprised how much of a mix of action and uh, and detective work is in there. Yeah, I, from the E3, I think, trailer, it looked like it'd be this really kind of like niche little game that not a lot of people would get into, but a lot of people have been talking about that one. Yeah, and also uh, there is a toilet fairy uh, in it. <laughs> oh, is that the one that talks about your tweets? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, well, yeah, that was my hilarious tweet joke. The, the, <laughs> like, I, I contributed um, something to the toilet fairy. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know what it was. It was an item. Um, it, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't any, uh, yeah. And anyway, uh, the toilet fairy thanked me for blessing it. Video games are art. They are. (laughs) And speaking of video games, uh, the game developers conference, uh, there is actually some stuff happening with it. So we opened up the call for summits. So if you have ideas for talks that involve AI animation, independent games, game narrative, math in game dev, uh, then you should submit a talk on the website. Uh, You can find that information at gdconf.com. There's also VRDC, uh, game career development. You can submit your talks before midnight on September 30th at that website. That's midnight uh, before you turn into a pumpkin. There's uh, also there's also more uh, there's also a XRDC coming up in October. That's 14th through 15th at Fort Mason Festival Pavilion, and uh, that's in San Francisco. That has to do with all of the fancy visual computing stuff where uh, virtual things are overlaid on reality. AR, you know? XR, VR, MR. Yeah. The various R's, the XR's. Yeah, all, all the R's. All the R's. Uh, 2020 IGS submissions are now open as yeah. well. Those are due by midnight on September 30th. Um, students and non-students can submit games judged on excellence in visual art, audio, design, narrative, and best student game with uh, finalists in all of those categories. And there is a program going where underrepresent- underrepresented groups can apply for a fee waiver. Um, more details on that can be found at igf.com slash submit hyphen your hyphen game. All right. This is where we start to uh, tease the next guest here. Well, not tease our next guest. Uh, te- tease what he does, right? <laughs> yeah, don't tease me. <laughs> a little background. This person is a past... This is like going to be one of my things on this podcast now. Huge hype right before we introduce the person. All right. <laughs> our, our next guest is a past GDC speaker. He's written for Gama Sutra and Game Developer Magazine. What? Uh, writer and composer uh, and a game dev uh, at Zachtronics, where he worked on such cool uh, systemy type games like Opus Magnum, Exapunks, uh, Shenzhen IO, and also in a past life worked AAA at Bungie, Treyarch, 343 Industries. Uh, they made some games. Uh, <laughs> some of those games were Halo and, uh, and uh, Call of Duty, including Call of Duty 2 uh, Big Red 1, which I enjoy. <laughs> And I where, also, where are you getting this bio from? Oh my god! It's uh, it's all on the internet, sir. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I I, I, I enjoy yeah. I, I like saying big red one as in big red one. Big red one. Yeah, big red one. Yeah. And uh, so uh, if you uh, he, he oh he also did the great twine game. Uh, the writer will do something that is about floundering development of a AAA game, and the latest uh, latest game to come out is uh, Eliza um, from Zachtronics. So if uh, you'll uh, join me in unveiling our guest, Matthew Burns. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Hi. Hi. Well, you have a long storied past in the game industry. I've actually known of you for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like now I know you a bit. After all that of, research that you've done. After, yeah, yeah. After stalking me on the internet, yeah. Yeah, this is what Alyssa and I uh, are getting really good at. Mm-hmm. We are better at internet stalking than we are at podcasting, <laughs> uh, which, you know. That's okay. That'll, hopefully that'll pay off someday. Now, you started in the game industry. It seems like you must have started pretty early on in your life, uh, like in your in your career. Can you talk about how it all started? How I got started? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2000 or 2001, something like that. Um, so I guess it's coming up on like 18 years now. Um, started right out of school uh, as a tester in the basement of Activision in Santa Monica, um, the same building that they still are in right now. Um, but I was uh, absolutely just a temp tester, kind of kind of like starting on the lowest rung and eventually became a producer. And I was a producer the entire time I was on AAA and went through the various studios that you mentioned and various franchises that you mentioned. And then I, I tried to go indie once that didn't work out. And I went back to AAA and then I tried to go indie again. And now I am here at Zachtronics where I, I do the writing and, and music, which is more interesting to me than than the production stuff for right now um because it's it's new and it's stuff i haven't done before so i guess that's the that's the short version of my journey through the game industry just, just taking notes here uh basically you crawled out of the basement of activision is how i heard it yes mm-hmm. and uh, and made your way the, so the test department at activision is literally in the basement of the building like there's of course it is it's it's like <laughs> metaphorical um and it's it's kind of funny it's also a little bit you know like sad but like it's always been in the in the literal basement can you describe this basement was it dank damp dark it's you know there's no windows obviously and it's just sort of this large open space that is the underground floor of like a large office building and there's fluorescent lights that buzz faintly and a break room with vending machines in it with you know bags of gardettos that you can buy for a dollar 25 or whatever and like so one like once, sad what, little arcade machine of like puzzle bobble or something that you can play. Once yeah. you so once you got a taste of that, you're like I was eighteen like, years. To, yeah, I was like game development is the life for me. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> like I can't wait to just keep There's making a, games. Like a slightly more upbeat metaphor there, like, oh testers are the foundation of game development. If you really want to like put that on a cat poster, you could get there, I think. <laughs> That's it's true. an important and job, I, yeah. I mean it's like it, it was I, I, we're making fun of it, but it is yes, absolutely an important job, and absolutely like 
not something that shouldn't be taken seriously. Like it should be taken very seriously. But windows are also that. kind of beneficial to mental health. Yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I, I'm totally willing to go on the record and say that Activision probably could stand to treat their testers better, um, both then and now. Uh, the, the AAA though, working in that for years, uh, just to dig into that a little bit more, uh, was it anything near what you expected? Because I bet that there are listeners that are thinking, you know, that there are still people out there, despite the news of how hard it can be in this industry, do have a romanticized idea of it. Were you like that? Um, I think so. I, I think for like people who are going into AAA now, they definitely have a better sense of like crunch and, and work-life balance issues and things like that. Like when I talk to students now, a lot of them are familiar with the with the stories and reporting that has been done on that. And that's a great credit to like the reporters who've been willing to like try to put these stories out there. When I started, there was less of that, like less of like, here's what to expect when you do AAA. So I didn't necessarily have like a specific notion of like, this is what it was going to be like. It was more just like, okay, now I'm working on a big budget game. Call of Duty is like a big game, seems important. And I'll just do what it takes to to get it done yeah um so at that time the industry was just a little bit less established and there was just more kind of fly by the seat of your pants not that it's amazing now right but there's just like smaller smaller teams and like less less sort of developed processes and just like kind of like doing things and hoping that they hoping that they work so i didn't have this specific idea of like it's going to be like this i just kind of went in hoping to be useful well, you've had a lot of different, uh, you know, jobs in games. Uh, you said that your producer, that was the, you know, QA and producer side mm-hmm. is what you were focusing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what kind of drew you more towards uh, the focus on the writing? And you're also a composer who writes mm-hmm. excellent mm-hmm. music for these games. You know, what? Thank you. Yeah. What, what drew you uh, towards that? Well, so I, you know, it's like I joined games because I was interested in them creatively. Like I, I actually was a was a tester for three years and a producer for like ten years. But the entire time I had been doing like my own writing on the side and my own music on the side, because I think fundamentally I am a creative person and I always was. But the thing about like working in in games on AAA games, I actually there there was a point at which I could decide whether I wanted to be like a designer like I want if I wanted to follow like the design track on stuff like Call of Duty and to be super honest like the design problems that you have to solve on a game like Call of Duty were not as interesting to me as like kind of like the logistical problems that you have to solve on like how to put the team together and how to do like the voice recording and how to do, like coordinate all the designers and and all the assets and stuff like that so I pursued the production track in AAA because I thought I would like be able to learn more of like the kinds of things that I was interested in and see a lot of the different disciplines and like, you know, stand in on a mocap session and like make a big list of animations or or be in the recording studio with with the, you know, participate in all of that kind of stuff um, as opposed to the kinds of again, the kinds of design problems that you solve on in in Call of Duty which are are interesting but we're just less like what I wanted to pursue at that time. When you went indie for the first time, did you stick with kind of a production side of it or were you more in the like design no, I was, side? 
Yeah, no, I, at that point, then I was like, oh, I want to like, it, it was, it was tough. So the first time I tried to go indie was like around 2011 or 12. So that was like when indie stuff was really, really early on. And it was like, maybe this is a thing that can be done. And I myself didn't necessarily have a great idea of exactly how it was going to work. Like you had to sort of be entrepreneurial too at the same time and like pitch your game. And there wasn't necessarily like a, a great pipeline for how to pitch the pitch stuff. Um, so I thought, you know, I, I have to be like some sort of business guy too. And then also like be involved in like design and, and like creative direct the game as well mm-hmm. at the same time. And, um, it was a super, super artsy game that I think wasn't the type of game that like a big publisher would pay a lot of money for, especially back then. I think maybe now there's more interest in this type of, in, in that type of game. And there's more models for how that type of thing could work. But at the time it was just, it didn't quite come together. Um, but yeah, it was, it was always like trying to, trying to be creative. Um, the twine games that I've made were made while I w- was not working at Zectronics and working at other jobs. And I would, you know, go home and work on my twine games and that kind of thing. You had mentioned that you, you tried to go indie first. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what happened there? Because there was that period, and then you had, and then you went back to AAA. Yeah, um, uh, I saved up some. I had saved up a bunch of money, and I was like, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to pursue the indie dream." And <laughs> so, in like 2011 or 12, something like that, me and some friends that I had met were like, "Yeah, we're going to make a game." And I said I had saved up money, but it was like to pay my rent. It wasn't like to pay my collaborators unfortunately so we were all kind of working like for free on this thing um not a model that i would recommend especially today um but that was like the only way that it could happen then um and i would not do that again in the future i think it's important to to pay everyone for their contribution at this you know right now um but so we worked on it and we we came we had like this um sort of demo of of the game it was this musical shooter uh, that we were calling Planck at the time, after the named after the physicist Max, Max Planck, um, and it was like it was kind of like inspired by like uh, Rez and Tetsuya Mizuguchi kind of games where it's like cool electronic music and and sound and stuff and and I was trying to get money to finish it, and this was again this was a time when there weren't a, a ton of indie publishers. I think like Devolver was around at this time, but many of the other ones weren't. And so then I would like try to I was like try to pitch to like you know Konami or something, right? And it was just like I, why would I, it doesn't make any sense? And and so it was just it just didn't like it didn't happen. Like people were just not interested enough in the game. It was like too artsy, too out there, not enough precedent for the type of game it was, and too like um, the the deals that were out there for this this type of thing were just like were just kind of almost condescending you know it would be like i would go to like a publisher and they would be like and i would be like hey i have this game and i need this amount of money to make it and then i and then i'll give the game to you and then they would come back with their counter offer and and they would be like how about this we don't give you any money and you still give us the game (laughs) and it would just be like okay that's not you know that's not like a real thing so 
eventually the money that I had saved up to like pay my rent was running out and I was like okay sorry I guess this didn't work so I had I got another job in AAA to kind of like continue it but I still felt like you know that that I had that I had failed in some way because like I would I didn't finish the game that I was trying to make at that time yeah well I guess join the club right Uh, sure yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah uh yeah, I, I forget about those times, and you said this was around 2011? I think so, yeah, 10, 11, or 12, yeah. something like that, yeah, yeah. So, so to me, who, like, uh, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm pushing 40 now, 2011 does not seem like that long ago, and it was such a different time where uh, these, this kind of rise, you know, of the mid-tier... Um, you know, or, or the more boutique style publishers like Devolver uh, weren't really uh, established as they are now, or a lot of them yeah, not even yeah. around at all. So the not idea, all, yeah. the idea of you uh, and you know your little team pitching to the same company that publishes like Metal Gear Solid, uh, or, you know, or AAA <laughs> games like that. It's, yeah. it, I mean, it's almost comical these days. It really was a clear. It, re- it really was a clear like mismatch, and it was like, hey, I want to do this artsy thing, and they were just like, I don't know what to do with this. I think now there's much more of like a framework that you can be like, hey, I am this type of game, and they understand where you're coming from a little bit better. Yeah. It really was a different. It was super different time, and you're right. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Now, Zachtronics, uh, you you joined Zachtronics in 2016. Is that right? Yeah, so I had I had worked with Zach prior to that. Um, I'd done the music for Infinifactory and written some stuff for TS100. But uh, in 2016 is when I joined basically full time to do both the writing and music for Zachtronics games. Um, yeah. So Shenzhen IO was the first uh, Zachtronics game that I did both the the writing and music for. So this is a, this always struck me and as a, an interesting pairing too. Because you are kind of shaping the future of Zachtronics. Uh, I, uh, as you know, Matthew, I, I interviewed Zach at GDC uh, mm-hmm. like a couple years ago, and we talked about the influence that you're having on it. Uh, when you're going into Zachtronics, so if our listeners who don't know, Zachtronics does very systems based uh, doohickey type games where you. Uh, add and subtract things from systems and then you basically uh, and some of them you press go and then this the the system just starts going and it might collapse in on itself or it might magically work and it just gives this amazing sense of uh uh progression like intellectual progression intrinsic reward is a big mm-hmm. thing with these games mm-hmm. now bringing you on what was the goal with you i mean many of the zactronics games mechanically I mean, they they come so with the exception of Eliza, like the mechanics of the Zachtronics games definitely continue to just come from Zach. Um, I don't really try to like make any like design contributions to stuff, especially the the more hardcore ones, the ones where you just do assembly language programming. Like, I don't really have anything to offer there, uh, like from a from a design standpoint. Uh, but we do what what we do talk about, especially early on in the design process, is just kind of the overall story of the game and and the world that the game takes place in, and the the arc that that we take players on as they do these tasks. And that's something that's very important, I think, 
to us as a studio. It's important to Zach. He doesn't want to make games that are just about manipulating abstract symbols in a vacuum. Uh, they have to connect back to the real world in some way. And that's where I really get involved. And I think that that's, that's something we talk about from the very get-go. We don't design a game and then like put a skin on it. Like, oh, maybe this could take place in medieval times. And then you just put medieval stuff on it. It's really about designing the mechanics and the world and the story all together, all at once. And hopefully by doing that, they all like reflect on each other and, and reinforce each other. Now, the latest Zachtronics game, Eliza, is a game that just came out recently, and uh, it's quite a departure uh, in that it is, uh, it, it's a, a visual novel. It's not one of these super mechanic-sevy uh, games that Zachtronics has become known for. Right, right. Uh, uh, can you talk about the... Uh, the uh, let, let, How about this? Uh, Alyssa, uh, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? We're, we're both playing this game right now. <laughs> Uh, what, what, what are you thinking of of Eliza? I was uh, not emotionally ready to start it at like 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> that oh, was a mistake. My goodness, yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel kind of bad because my preconception of Zachtronic games prior before this conversation and before doing a research and every, leading up to this had been like, these are puzzle games that are way too tough for me. I had no idea of like the the element of kind of world, cre- uh, world creation that went into that. I just had compartmentalized them away as puzzle games. And I'm mm. going to go back and recheck some of them now. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think I think like absolutely the most like memorable thing about them is is the fact that they are these like sort of programming, pro- programmy puzzle games or engineering puzzle games where you literally have to like do engineering you literally have to like do a, an engineering job to like finish the level you know? one of the descriptions i read for them was oh they're uh, puzzle games for programmers and i'm like that it's so technical <laughs> <laughs> right yeah but there's yeah, value yeah. in technical stuff as well then you go to eliza which is a visual novel which is mm-hmm. a very niche genre on its own and entirely different from puzzle games altogether so how did the idea to be like here's a story i want to tell with these kind of mechanics about all of this and how did that kind of snap into visual novel for you guys yeah and and can you just give kind of our, our listeners uh just the the background of this uh, the story of what eliza is oh, about yeah, that too. sure yeah so eliza is a visual novel um it's kind of about this uh therapy app that a large tech company based in seattle has developed um the way i pitch it to people often is saying like imagine imagine amazon added a therapy function to to amazon alexa (laughs) so like you would come home after a day at work and just be like alexa i don't feel so good and alexa would be like why don't you feel so good and then you could just like talk to your amazon alexa and it would like listen to you and creepily record you and upload all of your like deep thoughts to to amazon um and so it's a it's a little bit like that although there's a there's a twist in that um the AI responses provided to it are supposed to be read by real human beings called proxies. And proxy work is, is maybe analogous to like Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or something like that, where you as a proxy, your job is to just kind of show up and like read these words that are provided to you at someone who is um, in for, for therapy. So it's um, it's about these therapy clients that come in. It's about you being the proxy and not really having a choice about what you say to them. And it's also about uh, the people who make this technology and whether they're really helping or not and the choices that you make when you work in technology and the effect that you have on the world uh, as an engineer. 
So that's kind of in a nutshell what Eliza is all about. There's a lot of other stuff too. There's stuff about you know burnout and working in the in the tech industry. There's stuff about all this other stuff. There is but, so there's so much stuff in it. There, um, <laughs> like, there's, yeah. it, it, it touches on uh, all this stuff like um, like AI bias. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're t- talking about like you said burnout, work life balance, um, this responsibility uh, that. Uh, people developing technology feel or mm-hmm. don't feel about it, uh, what, what they're making. What got you? What got you thinking about all this? Did you just watch a bunch of Black Mirror, or, <laughs> uh, or is? Uh, I mean, like a lot of this stuff is very realistic. That's one thing. This is a believable world. Yeah. Well, I mean, living in Seattle for for the past decade or so, seeing the city transform pretty dramatically. Um, as Amazon has taken over more and more of it, is one thread of that. Um, because I work in games, many of the people that I'm, you know, professional colleagues with or friends um, work at companies like Microsoft or Amazon. You know, Microsoft has a big has Xbox, right? And Amazon has Amazon Game Studios. Um, so there are plenty of. Uh, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google has a big campus up here as well. Uh, employees of these big tech companies in this area, and people that I know. Um, I also, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I work on my own stories in my own time. And when I, during one job that that I had had, like five or six years ago, I think I'm going to say like 2014, I saw a demo of a real uh, therapy application developed with funding from DARPA that was cameras on people's faces and there was like a, 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 a 3d avatar that was talking at them like this, like kind of old school, like second life looking 3d person. Mm. And it would, and it was like, you know, how are you doing? And then the person would be like, Oh, I don't know. And then all these like metrics would be like on their face, like if they were blinking or smiling or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it was the, the point of the system was to determine if people maybe had, signs of PTSD or something like that. And the reason why it was funded by DARPA, which is part of the defense department was because maybe they were going to like use it on soldiers who like came back from Afghanistan or whatever. And then they would like sit them in front of this like computer system and it would like scan their face while they talked to see if they were, if they had PTSD or not. So I saw that demo and it was just like really stuck with me, right? For, for whatever reason, it was just like the, the idea of that, you know, you send some 20 year old kid into war and give them PTSD and then they come back and they have to talk to a robot about it. Like I really wanted yeah. to do something with that, or like make a story about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and this was before black mirror, but like, it just felt like really arresting. And, and, and so I was like, thinking about like maybe I'll make this a twine game or something like that and so I had written a bunch of stuff about it and um, so one day Zach and I were talking I think this was after maybe maybe after Opus Magnum we were just talking about like future stuff that we could do Um, I think that Zach feels that we can always make more puzzle programming games like we feel like we understand that that genre pretty well Zach is basically the inventor of that genre um, but it's cool to, to try new things and do new things. And so I told him about this idea that I'd had. And then I was like, 
kind of pitched him on this idea of doing it as a visual novel that takes a little bit of art and a little bit of um, programming time and, and stuff. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it. Let's make this as a Zachtronics game uh, and sort of put it through our process. And so that allowed the art to, to happen and that allowed like the voice recording to happen and things like that. So I totally jumped at the chance to be able to, to do it that way. Did did Zach have any reservations whatsoever that it might not resonate with the typical Zachtronics audience? Absolutely, yeah. We talked about that a lot. Um, there were a lot of, like, we had no idea if anyone would like this at all. We had no idea if, like, Zachtronics fans would, like, yell at us and be mad and, and you know, uh, show up at our at our homes or something like that, right? Um, you made a visual novel. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> there, there, like, we, we were concerned about that. We were also concerned that, like, by, by making a visual novel about, like, kind of just 30-somethings talking about their careers and stuff, like, that's not really typical visual novel um, fare, right? And so, like, maybe maybe visual, fans of visual novels won't like it, and then also people who are not fans of visual novels won't play it anyway because it's a visual novel, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, maybe we're making a game for nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a real fear while we were making it and then also yeah how how would people who associate Zektronics with this very specific genre how would they feel about it as well I mean isn't Grey's Anatomy about people talking about work in their 30s and 40s and people like that right sort of the Grey's Anatomy of video games is that what you're getting (laughs) yeah I don't know it's definitely like you know it's about like adult things and I mean adult in the sense of like paying your mortgage adult not the other kind of adult yeah it's uh, and Alyssa and I were talking about how, um, and this isn't uh, this is a this is a compliment to the game. It is it, it's de- it's depressing, and um, it's but in in a way that I want games to make me feel something real, and it you know I think that you know a lot of people will agree with me that like that comes along not very often, and when you're sitting there. Uh, with the initial patient, you're sitting there as the proxy, and then you start to realize that you can only read out what the Eliza AI is telling you to say, or else you'll get fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, like right there, it just it that takes away your agency. It takes away your uh, your uh, your propensity to help people. It takes away uh, any empathetic action that you could possibly take and that's what's interesting like and you've talked about this before at gdc um Mm -hmm. about choice and how you handle choice and a lot of Mm -hmm. times it's not about the choices that are interesting it's about how they're presented Mm -hmm. so can you can you talk about that about designing for choice in a game that doesn't have much of it yeah so i mean i'll i'll just come out and say it that the way Eliza is designed is that you don't have a choice for a very long time. I want to say the first two thirds of the entire game are just completely linear. And then it opens up towards the end and you do have a choice. And that's a very, very deliberate like design strategy that I'm using um, from a narrative design standpoint of using, using all of that time at the beginning to set up like a very what I think is a very interesting and complex choice at the end. So instead of bombarding you with small incremental choices throughout the duration of your play, 
what you get is kind of a, a, an interesting situation and an interesting story and an interesting world, hopefully. And then you are presented with the, you know, with the chance to make a choice. There's, it's a lot more resonating. That's my theory anyway. It's, it, the choice itself becomes a lot more resonating when you, when you understand all of the factors around it instead of like, you know, you, you just start the game and you're presented with a choice immediately with no context of like, I don't, I don't know what I'm choosing to do if I make these choices, really. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, yeah, that, that, um, that fills me with anxiety. <laughs> I'm not so like, I'm, uh, there's six chapters in the game. I'm on chapter five. Uh, so it's, you're getting kind, there. It's kind of like what you're describing is kind of like, um, you know, blowing up a party balloon. Uh, and you know, your, your decision is like, should I stop blowing into it? Or should I just like keep going? It's like all of it, all of this is just building up to one big thing, and I think so. That's right. a completely fascinating design decision. Yeah, I think it really allows you to do stuff that you couldn't do um, in any other way. And so I was, I did talk about this at, at, at GDC. I think this is like an interesting approach to think about, and it, the game itself, like, it's not really very fantastical in a lot of ways. Like, it's really just like modern day kind of life. Um, there's nothing about it that's like made up except for the therapy stuff. And even then, <laughs> since the game came out, everybody's been like emailing me like these apps they found on the app store that are like chatbot for for cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever. It's, like it's completely a lot of believable. Like, yeah. It's totally yeah, yeah a thing now. Yeah, I think like going into that very first, so you start like the your character is the first day as this proxy right when you play and the, mm-hmm. they're going through and talking through their entire like okay so you have to go in this room and listen to this person and stick to the script it's very important that you stick to the script and that is hammered in i'm like oh here's the mechanic it's going to be i have to sit here and right away i'm gonna have to decide if i'm going to stick to the script or if i'm going to take a different option because that's a very visual novelly kind of binary choice is like do i totally. do a go down this road or do i do b and go down the other path right but like right away you don't get that and i think that kind of yeah you get resigned to that same kind of anxiety um that chris was talking about but at the same time in other like outside of the eliza therapy office um you have your text conversations or your face-to-face conversations where you can choose between two answers and the answers might not necessarily be different outside of tone the outcome will be the same and those two like the difference between those two kinds of decision um and also the subtle differences between the actual choices you make really do a lot to define the character you're playing as it feels like Mm -hmm, um especially mm -hmm. because in visual novels the ones i've played have been like anime nonsense because that's me in a past life but um a lot of times your protagonist becomes this empty vessel that you fill with your own personality Right. And the protagonist in Eliza has her own motivations, her own goals, and her own backstory that you uncover through these unique kind of narrative design choices. And right. I don't have a question I'm building up to here other than that is it's very impressive how all of that was kind of drip fed to me by subverting what I expected of visual novels in a way. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, like any any like textbook that you open about game design will say will basically will say like games are different because they're interactive right games are games are different from other mediums because they present you with choices that's like the defining feature of games um, you hear any any pundit talking about games will say this and so what's so powerful to me like in that is like 
actually de denying someone a choice. Like that can be such a powerful like move because like it's a game. You would think that you would want to give people a choice, and so going going against that is like kind of a really interesting way to use the the tools that you have as a game designer, right? It's like it's like using silence as a as a composer or or blank space as a as a writer i don't know but you know the, the absence of the thing that makes the medium what it is um i think can enhance the other parts of you know it can enhance the choices that come later and it can and it can contrast with like you said the moments in her in her daily life in evelyn the, the main character's daily life where she does have a little bit of choice and then at work where she has absolutely none at all let's uh let's just sit here uh dead air for five minutes to subvert the uh <laughs> <laughs> subvert the notion of a podcast we did that yeah. in our intro i think but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh so when sid meyer says uh you know a game is a series of interesting, cho interesting choices or decisions uh you, you don't necessarily uh uh agree with that um i think it's well <laughs> um, sid meyer's gonna be listening so you better be careful okay <laughs> Well then, no, I don't. I don't. I actually don't agree that a, a game is a series of interesting choices. I think that what a game is is actually very difficult to define. And and once you you know when you read game theory uh, stuff, like people are like, oh, um, Ludwig Wittgenstein uh, picked the word game as a, as an example of a word that's impossible to define. Uh, and he had all these examples about like why how you can't define the word game. It's uh, worth worth reading everyone has their own de definition of game i think uh a lot of people think that visual novels are not games at all um but i think that eliza does have interesting choices in it um or at least one interesting choice in it and so if eliza is a series of one very interesting choice is it a game or not i don't know i'll let you decide as long as you buy it and play it <laughs> well i it's you know wh whatever you think of it is like it's uh it, i i think that what it's doing to me it, what, what it's how it's making me think about the topics at hand how it's making me think about the world around me i don't think that that could be done as effectively if it were a game that were you know as soon as i say this some like indie is going to release an amazing game with lots of cho like choices and stuff like that but like this this game i just don't, it would yeah. like the fact that it takes away the agency from me uh that really that that grabs me and it's compelling that's a deliberate yeah it's a deliberate choice like again like i said like you know at zactronics like we've made the we we make these extremely mechanics heavy games right so it's not like beyond us to design a therapy game where like procedurally generated people come in who have like four or five conditions and you like have to like give them procedurally generated like mm -hmm. prescriptions or like figure out what to say to make them feel better and then we've created this like weird like simulation-y kind of model of like mental health which is like weird and not something I wanted to get into right because then you're make as soon as you start designing a system around that then you're then you're starting to make this procedural argument that like oh if someone is depressed they need this right like yeah. if someone has x problem then they need y and if if you don't give them that then they're bad and if you do give them that then they're better mm -hmm. and it's like I didn't want to like every person in in 
Eliza is just their own person. They're their own specific like case. And that, and the reason why that's true is because it's a completely linear and there's no choice. And again, that's a, that's a deliberate decision. Um, modeling mental health just seems like such a, such a minefield of like unintended, like consequences and things, arguments that I didn't want to make. It's a deliberate yeah. decision that kind of makes a commentary on that way of thinking. Cause there's like one specific person in general where Chris and I both talked about it and we're like, yeah, she just came in to like have a chat and the AI is like, well, here's a pill for you. Right. And right. like a lot of that is just kind of like you sit there at your computer going like, oh, Oh, no, my eyes like pop out of my head. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. like wait, wait a minute, and right. then you know you have you have to sit there, and then you have to repeat what the AI says, and uh, it feels like you are making things worse, uh, that you're contributing to something bad, mm-hmm. and then you get into all of this stuff like, you know, what am I? In? You start thinking, what am I involved in? Uh, what am I doing? You know. The, to this world what's my impact on this world uh right. is like the these little things that you do uh is that making it better is that helping people right and that's kind of the ultimate like question that the game asks right which, which is what are you how are you contributing to the world and, and how do you feel good about what you're doing um I'm going to, well, yeah. no, no, don't wrap it up. I'm going to hijack. I want I one more question I want to ask before. I know we're running short on time, um, but it's like, it's half a credit to the voice acting and half a credit to the writing that like all of those characters and all those situations in like the Eliza therapy sessions all seem human and not like people written. I think it's easy when you're dealing with uh, mental health, to- mental health topics and trauma and anxieties and stuff like that to write characters that are just just those traits but Mm -hmm. like so far all the people i've encountered feel like they have rounded out lives and that everything seems like amazingly human um in actuality and i guess i wonder if you can talk a little bit about writing human characters or the voice acting process of coaching into getting this really genuine feeling in each of those very personal intimate moments yeah totally i mean i could talk about both of those things for a really long time um but I'll say, in terms of, I'll start with the voice acting. Like um, when the voice actors came in, I we just talked about how uh, I told them that I that I was interested in getting very naturalistic performances mm-hmm. uh, and not you know stagey performances, and um, not to worry about like where the where one line begins and where one line ends. Oftentimes in game scripts, the lines have to be very separate. Um, and, and actors who know how to act for games know to, to like pause between lines because they're going to be cut up into their into the dialogue stuff. And I said, well, if it feels natural to like just run into the next sentence, just do that, and I'll I'll fix it on my end so that the like one line becomes two lines or mm-hmm. or two lines become one line um, and stuff like that. And sentences that I had written that were like weirdly stilted or whatever, like we kind of fixed in the, in, in the recording booth as we went, um, just to find that like really natural delivery and that really natural performance. And a lot of that, you know, the, was the actors responding to me, like trusting them to, with the material. Like I, I didn't try to say, say it this way or, or come at it this exact way. It was like more like providing a space to let them find a place to, to take it. Um, so that's like the kind of the voice acting part. And again, I could talk about that for, for a really long time. The, the other thing was, um, 
I, I did some, you know, when I was doing my research before uh, or during writing this, I spoke to um, some, some people, some mental health professionals, uh, interviewed them. Um, I also drew on my own experience going to therapy um, and, and sort of like what I, what I know from my friends as well who have experienced similar things. And I think it was important to me to like show that people, you don't, you don't talk about your deepest problem like the first thing when you walk into your therapist's office, right? You don't just like immediately bring up the, the thing that's like lurking underneath everything at all. Um, you don't just like, you know, you're not like, the, it's not like your therapist is like, how are you? And you're like, oh, my parents disowned me. Like you, that's like lurking in the background. And sometimes it takes like multiple sessions to even get anywhere near there. Yeah. A lot of people don't talk, like they don't even feel comfortable talking about the real issue and so like showing that people don't necessarily just like do that was also very important to me that there's always like something you know the real issue is kind of lurking in the background um a lot of the time and then and if if the therapy clients feel more human for that reason i think it's that it's that part of that approach you know in the writing Mm -hmm. uh to get there last question uh before we let you go is there any happy ending in this relationship between humans and technology? Like in the real world? Like in, in the real like, world, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I, I think that, that it is possible. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it is probable, but I think that it is possible because I, th- I believe um, that technology itself on its own is neutral, right? And it's really just how we use it. Like technology on its own is not good or bad. It's, it's how it's applied and if we are careful and think about how we apply technology then we can we can benefit from it and of um, course we're all being very careful and we're doing a great job of it <laughs> so far you hear that amazon so alexa to, in the corner yeah right nothing to worry about i feel like everything's going smoothly i don't know about you guys but i think everything's going great <laughs> love that technology. the world right you love that technology yeah, yeah. on that note uh, we all love technology we also all love eliza and thank you so much matthew for joining us and uh Best of luck with the game. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Matthew's out of the room now. Uh, (laughs) That's heavy stuff. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I kind of just want to swoop back to my my uh, my notes that started off with visual novels. What a genre! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to swoop back into the fetal position. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's such a good game, and uh, hopefully it doesn't you know turn people off uh, who might be listening uh, to this. Uh, <laughs> that, that it is. Um, it it there's some profound stuff in there, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The last thing we want to do is get guests on the show and then discourage people from playing their <laughs> games. But I think the one thing that I, I tried to get at it when we were all chatting, but the one nice thing about Eliza is it feels like it deals with a lot of heavy topics, but it gives them the, the weight that they deserve and the amount of thought they deserve. And the entire, the entire game's about kind of like the same questions that you're asking as you're playing it. So in that note, the writing is very... I just I have like the word meaningful written like a million mm-hmm. times throughout my notes here because everything is it's it's everything just feels meaningful and feels very cared about. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of um, sci-fi, which, you know, this this is, it's very near future sci-fi, I think, mm-hmm. uh, is really kind of, uh, there. there's kind of one point of view and it's technology sucks and we're all doomed. And this isn't like that. Uh, there are characters who really believe in this kind of uh, AI based therapy there's a there's there's a character that really believes that this is going to help people and that's the reason that they're in it so you have the you you have a spectrum of people uh, who uh, think of Eliza the AI in all these different ways you have the extreme uh, who is this character Nora who used to work on the project and then she left uh, to lead the life of a musician and, and an artist, and then she becomes one of the harshest critics of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you have the uh, you know the the big CEOs of these tech companies who are all about it, and then you have the people in the middle who are somewhere uh, you know somewhere in between. Yeah, if you break it down to like its most basic parts, there are like these very clear like against for chaotic in the middle kind of like these very clear sides but in the actual implementation of it it's really like human and believable and just a really good it's a really good game visual novels are good (laughs) yeah it and um it reminds me of uh and people see this or people have seen it if they've played the game uh it, it reminded me of when i was in college a little bit and i was telemarketing and it's like stick to the script and then you have your your boss. Yes, I was a telemarketer. I was one of those awful people. Shaking uh, my head. But, you can't see it, but I hope it was you can co- feel it. <laughs> it, was, it was college. I needed the money, uh, <laughs> which is probably what a lot of these proxies in Eliza thought. It was college. I needed the money. So I, I became a proxy for machine learning robot thing. Uh, but yeah, stick to the script. Uh, you have no agency. And by the way, your boss is listening in on you. And make sure that you're doing you're doing the job right. Uh. I think like my one big like high level takeaway from this conversation is just the kind of benefit of not sticking to your brand, I guess, in a way, because this mm-hmm. like this in a million years, every well, like three weeks ago when this was announced, every single headline was like Zachtronics is making a visual novel. Like yeah. no one could believe because it's such a out there game for based on like the past library that they'd put out before. But like they did it and they went for it and it just it resonates in such a great way where like sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone and everyone should make a visual novel is what yeah. i'm getting at and and i've seen i've seen some of the user reviews uh you know pray for me i went into the uh, steam user review section brave but yeah i was just looking at it and there are zachtronics fans of of the previous games who really like this one mm-hmm. so uh, you know they're there might be more overlap than you think. Yeah, it's interesting how, like, kind of the theme of... They went from uh, puzzle games for programmers to kind of, like, a game about, like, big... Like, pr- the, the, pr- the programming, like, morality question is there, and there's always yeah. this kind of, like, underlying beat that's just very interesting to see when uh, they deviate from genre. So it's just a very cool outcome. When, when I talked to Zach at GDC, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was very much like... I, I mean, they have... They released... Uh, huge uh instruction manual for uh i think it's for tis um and it it's actually like an engineering manual it's like meant to be like 
an actual electronics like engineering manual Mm -hmm. and so you know you got that novelty thing and Matthew did work on that as well Uh, but you do have this this reputation like even Zach was like if you don't if you don't understand our games uh, you know I don't care (laughs) (laughs) and you know that their 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 crowd at GDC would just like yeah because it does it does give you kind of a special thing like I understand this like this is a game for me Mm -hmm. for my brain and then you come out with this uh, that you know, kind of uh, that that questions a lot of things that uh, programming lays the foundation for. Uh, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think like all of my 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 in the conversation notes are just like things I wanted to dig in on more because there's just so much so much cool surrounding how this came to be. <laughs> yeah, and it touches on on so many different things. Now mm-hmm. uh, we're not talking spoilers here, so uh, yeah, keep listening. <laughs> But it talks about it, it. It touches on things like, as a society in today's world, where coding, yes, is important. You know, STEM is very important, and, and all that. But at the same time, we are devaluing the arts. For example, you know, uh, we are associating intelligence with one skill set. Know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know coding that's a smart thing to do and then you know if you don't know how to code uh you you just uh you know uh write write books you know one of those in in our society is valued over the other yeah there's a nora i'm I'm so bad with names that applies to game characters as well but uh nora the programmer turned really cool dj Yeah. yeah And, like, her, there's a conversation early on. It's all early on, no spoilers, uh, that kind of, like, equates certain things in her programming life to using those same skills as artistic expression as a musician. And, like, just a lot of really cool kind of little conversation starters in there to make really make you think. Yeah. She's, like, a, an electronic musician. And yeah. she's using uh, all of this stuff. You, you know, her music is about input and output. I, I meant to mention it when Matthew was still on the call, but uh, that we'll song... We'll email him. We'll call him up. Uh, yeah. That song was really good, and I wanted to mention it, but that's it's the music's really great, too, and yeah, there's the a song. lot of like subtle things to it, and I should have said that when he was on the call, but... Yeah. Well, Ma- Matthew uh, is too good at too many things. <laughs> uh, there's not enough... This uh, podcast isn't uh, long enough to, uh, <laughs> to go through all, the, all, of all his, the skills. All of his talents. So the, uh, the, the game is great. Uh, it's Eliza. I, I think that's it. Uh, so yeah. we should we should wind her down here, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we're actually on uh, iTunes and Google Play, which I don't think anybody uses. So uh, shout out to people who use Google Play <laughs> for podcasts and uh, and also Spotify. And we're actually getting some some followers off of our first one. Uh, which is good. Spotify's podcast stuff has apparently gotten a lot better just in the past couple months. Not just because the GDC podcast is now on the platform, but like I think actual... that it was us. No. We we pushed, we kicked it off, but yeah, yeah, yeah it was us. Uh, all you uh, people who want to do a new podcast, ride the wave of <laughs> the GDC podcast. So uh, we're gonna go now. Uh, I'm Chris Graft. I'm Alyssa McAloon. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe or on Spotify, follow. Uh, and uh, if you love us, rate us. We'd really appreciate that. Have a good one. See you next time.